Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We're going to be talking about horror culture, macabre things, so we could delve into subjects that could include topics such as uh, murder, child abuse, rape. There will be bad language. We're, We're going to say bad things. We're going to talk about dark stuff. I mean, it's a horror podcast, so, you know, that's... That's, that's Get used to it. Yeah. Like, if that's not your cup of tea, what are you even doing here? Why aren't you right. listening to Little House on the Prairie, the podcast or something? It's like uh, the end of Ferris Bueller. Go home. Go home. It's over. <laughs> Shoo. I'm going to go inside. And I'm going to get a shovel. <laughs> anyway, we were doing a that. thing. Uh, yeah, that is the disclaimer. With that out of the way, uh, coming up, we're going to be speaking with director and producer Eduardo Sanchez, another member of the Slumber Party Massacre podcast, Heather Powell, and then a few authors, Josh Mailerman and Sarah Langan. But today, we have the pleasure of the company of the author of such works as The Crooked God Machine, We Are Wormwood, and Girl Like a Bomb, Autumn Christian. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here so far. Yeah, right. It's been fun times. <laughs> Give it a couple <laughs> minutes. Yeah, it's been eight minutes. We're, yeah, we've yeah, talked yeah. about uh, cursed stars and drawing dicks in the Bible. It's good times. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Happy Mother's yeah, right? Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for our Patreon subscribers, that, that'll be an interesting conversation, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, in this interview, what we'll be doing is asking three sets of questions covering your childhood, teenage years, and adulthood to find out what it is about horror that you like. Uh, <clears throat> the idea being that if we interview enough people, we might get some interesting answers to these questions. Um, but that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there are any questions you don't want to answer, you just say pass and we'll move on. Um, starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? So are we talking reality or are we talking like media? I know you um, that to everyone. Generically media, but we do also have another question asking if you had any like real life experiences. But for starters, like what kind of things in uh, media or just uh, general influences did you have in interaction with horror wise at a young age? So I always tell people this, like the scariest movie I remember seeing as a child was actually that um, claymation Rudolph the Red uh, Red Nosed Reindeer <laughs> movie <laughs> um, because that. Uh, if you remember the if you've seen it, if you remember the abominable snowman. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it terrified me. I used to like run out of the room whenever um, he came on, and I actually watched. <laughs> I actually watched a little clip of it like a couple years ago, and I'm like, no, whatever noise they made for this is like as terrifying as I remember. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was like a dog or like some distortion. Um, but yeah, and also. When I first started reading, um, my teacher would give me like, I think it was called the Babysitter uh, Club books. Not not terrifying, but then I discovered R.L. Stein in a bookstore. Um, it was Please Don't Feed the Vampire. It had a poodle on the cover. And it was like holographic, and you know you're a kid, so you're just like, oh wow, like shiny. Um, it was one of the <laughs> it was one of the like choose your own adventure books, and uh, I also had a poodle. It was the most horrible like dog I, I have ever had. Um, <laughs> it just did not like me. It did not want me touching it. 
but that was really like when I first started like loving like literature and reading (laughs) because because it fed the poodle to the vampire yeah well I think that was one of it was like you could either become a vampire in the choose your own adventure or like you could feed the like little it was like a little blood packet because it's like a kid's thing but then your dog could become a vampire (laughs) (laughs) anything else um that's like the main ones I can remember okay so what about real life since you brought that up? <laughs> um, well, I would say, you know, I was safe in the womb for a while and then it just went downhill from there. <laughs> okay. Let's get started. Um, as soon as you popped out. No, I, it's interesting because I was, I, re, I was watching or listening to some, some of your other podcasts and mm-hmm. I think childhood is often portrayed as this very like innocent time in someone's life, but mm-hmm. I think it is really just like a series of like traumas, like ex- experiencing like the world. Um, and I think depending on how neurotic you are, like the more you tend to remember um, right. like the awful things as opposed to like the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to like keep it, um, you know, not horrible. The first thing I think I remember was like going to the zoo in Oklahoma City and like looking right. down into the hippo pen. Um, and then I heard one of the moms nearby saying that like a kid fell in and like like the hippo ate them. Dude, and hippos I are no know, joke. Hippos will eat. I don't eat. know if this was true or not, but like yeah, they're one of the most terrible, terrifying animals. I think right. as far as like in Africa, like they kill more people than any other animal. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, that was like one of the first times I sort of like conceptualized like death as a thing where it was like, Oh, like I could just fall down into this pit and like disappear. Mm. Similar mm. to like that. Uh, oh God, we talked about another podcast. There's a name for it. When you, when you look over the edge of a really tall height, call of the void, call of the void. I got, yeah. I mean, is looking down I mean, into a, a hippo death it, pit. But that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, like when you say call the void, do you mean that like urge to sort of like, oh, like I could jump? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I guess there's a French term for it. I can't think of what it is right now, but it's that's what it translates to is the call of the void. Okay. That's interesting. I, I guess that, that was a bad example, though. That wouldn't really apply with a uh, hippo deathbed because you, you probably have absolutely <laughs> no urge to jump in there. Yeah, but at the same time, you're you're kind of curious. You're like, well, what would it be like? I don't know. Yeah, like, what, what would happen? <laughs> I mean, I would die, but what would happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, now we're getting to uh, topics of things like intrusive thoughts. But uh, <laughs> mm. did you have a lot of intrusive thoughts when you were a kid, or it was that just like one event out of other strange events? I mean, I think everyone does. I, I mean, I think. I think a lot of people go around harboring these very like intense intrusive thoughts that aren't not necessarily um, pathologic, but they feel like they're sort of the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good topic. Not necessarily for the childhood section of the call, but in general, um, <laughs> yeah. since, since you brought it up. Yeah. I mean, when I was going through counseling there, there was definitely a period of my life where I was, experiencing those more often than previously. I was very stressed out and talked to my counselor and she explained to me that it's not unheard of. The the question is whether or not it is impacting your life in a negative way. Like, is it, you know, is it keeping you from being able to, to live your life? And if the answer is yes, then obviously you do need help with that. But if the answer is no, then that's not that 
strange. A lot of people do deal with it, like you say, but you don't necessarily know that until you've talked to somebody who tells you that you just think that, you know, fuck, why am I thinking these things? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is one of the good thing about like horror uh, media in general is that you realize there are other people creating things out there that sort of deal in similar themes to your own dark thoughts. Yes. However, I don't know in the horror genre, I'm not sure that there are any people out there going, but this is normal. You know yeah, what I'm saying? That's, it's just like, that's true. It's they're saying, yeah, I experienced this too, but they're not saying that it's normal. <laughs> yeah, there's only like this ex- externalized threat or like, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I have yeah. talked to a, a lot of people because I'm I'm like a pseudo I, I'm pseudo in psychology, like interested in um stuff like oh. that. And well, yeah, you know, show. You, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. I saw they were like you guys pseudo psychologically analyze people. I'm like, oh, perfect. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I I too am an amateur and just say things that I don't know what I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's part of it. Yes. Um. Yeah. Lots of people who will be like, yeah. Sometimes I think about murder or like doing these horrible things, and they're all torn up about it. But it's like it never. It, it's so incredibly common. Like especially because like. I mean, we are apex predators and we come from like a long line of murderers. Yeah. Yeah. We, not only in the US, but particularly the US, but any, everywhere in the world, I don't think any country that I know of does a very good job at educating people on any of the psychology stuff to, to help anybody understand what is or isn't normal or, you know, what is or is not too much or how do you cope with, uh, you know, different situations like psychological concepts and tools are just, it's all frowned upon, which I personally think is a bunch of stupid bullshit, but I mean, I understand there are reasons for it, but there are explainable reasons and you can still have a conversation about it, but people don't want to, it's stupid. But anyway, um, <clears throat> part that's, I mean, that's part of the reason that we're doing this is to be able to have a conversation about these kinds of things. And, you know, hopefully at the end of doing this for I don't know, however many years we end up doing this, that we'll have maybe a, a decent body of work that we can hand back to the mainstream world and say, here, you know, it, it's not as crazy or stupid or strange or weird as it sounds like. It, you know, it actually makes sense if you actually think about it and talk about it for a minute. So, so we've got Red, uh, Red Nose, uh, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, mm-hmm. the Snowman, um, R.L. Stein, OKC Zoo. Uh, anything else jump out to you from those teenage years or uh, from the childhood years? I read Dracula when I was really young. Hmm. Well, I read part of it. Um, I might've been like seven or eight. This was sort of my like Joker moment, I think, um, hmm. because it, I got it taken away from me. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Cause like I got it, I got to the point if, if you've read it or like, I mean, everyone's like knows the story basically, but the part where, the vampire hunter um, like is about to stake Lucy like in the ground and like, you know, you're a child. So it's like this very intense like moment. Mm-hmm. And that's like the moment they, they were like, no, you can't read this. It's too, it's too dark. <laughs> it's too adult. But wait, but, yeah. but, but. <laughs> <laughs> so then my personality sort of like formed around that betrayal. And I ever since I'm just like, <laughs> are you talking about the betrayal of having the book taken away from you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So do you horror horde books now? Not actually anymore. I've actually lost them a couple times because I moved so much, but <clears throat> I, I've tr- I mostly transferred to digital because mm-hmm. then I can have them with me always. Yes. Makes sense. And they're much easier to move. 
That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and you and you never run out of books if like cuz that used to be a thing as a kid. Like you I was like the the ancient times when you could actually run out of stuff to read. Like mm. <laughs> and instead of now when you could just like download a new book. Yeah, now it's just like infinite. Yes. Yeah. Nobody will ever know the suffering like You're right. <laughs> So uh, did you have any other friends or family who were fans of horror back then, or was it just you? Um, my dad was, and that was sort of like a point of contention with my mom. Cause, like my oh. mom was like pretty like religious and like also like, you know, didn't want, it, didn't want him watching like horror movies around the kids, which I can understand because mm. I, I feel like everyone I know that like hates horror as an adult has this story of like, of like watching like Stephen King's it or something when they were like three <laughs> and it just was like, it was just too much like data to process. But like, even when we got older, it was always, it, my dad would always like take us to horror, um, mo- like horror movies. Like we saw a lot of like Japanese, like Korean, um, like foreign movies, um, about, mm. like uh grudge, like uh Juwon, a couple others. That I, cool. um, and then he also introduced me to like Stephen King. But you saw all these like uh, popular J and K horrors when you were younger, like way before the rest of the the mainstream populace. It sounds. Yeah, um, I before they got like um, tr- before they got like remade into yeah. English. Yeah. Would you say that was during your childhood or teenage years? That was mostly like during my childhood. Huh? I think really it, it was like on a, like an, into teenage years. Okay. Did watching so, like, the Grudge before. give you a longstanding phobia of taking showers? <laughs> Um, that was a thing for a while. I did have a very overactive imagination. Mm, as one does. Yeah. Um, I also had a, a friend. I don't know. I don't remember who it was, but it was a friend of my mom come in and talk about like dem- how her, uh, she had been demonically possessed. Um, <laughs> so I couldn't sleep for the next like six years. You know, like whatever your belief system you probably still shouldn't bring up that you've been demonically possessed in front of children. (laughs) You know, because children are so... (laughs) You can't have, you can't have horror movies in front of kids, but you can have a real person talking about actually being demonically possessed in front of a kid. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I remember she was talking about how she had to throw out all of her books because like the demon would like transfer into the books. And like, if you're like a child, like, you sort of like trust these adults to like know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like you obviously know that a movie is fictional, but like if someone's like, "Oh yeah, demons are real," I mean like, not to them. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, right to them, it was apparently very real. Yeah, yeah. So I was just terrified of demons for like the longest time. Hmm. Um. Let's see. Did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Favorite costume. I don't remember. I think my my costumes were very normal. Like I was like a pumpkin one, <laughs> and then I was a uh, like a cowgirl, and then like a like a fly. That was probably the weirdest one because my mm-hmm. mom. I said I wanted to be a fly, and she was like, "Oh, like a butterfly," and I'm like, "No, like a like a black house fly, like the ugly looking motherfucker." Like, <laughs> well, that's a pretty easy uh... the fly. I hadn't seen the fly actually. I didn't see that till I was an adult. Okay, mm-hmm. probably probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one might have been a little intense. No, I imagine that'd be a pretty easy costume. Just uh, you know, two colanders for the eyes, and then antennae, <laughs> yeah. and then you got uh, wings and a black suit. Uh, maybe a vacuum cleaner hose for the proboscis. You know, 
<laughs> I didn't have anything like I didn't have any makeup, but yeah, it was just like a black. I think it was just like a black leotard and then some like fly wings. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Are you a bumblebee? No, I'm a housefly. <laughs> it's like a yeah. fairy costume, but just black. Yeah. Um, I think that's when she knew she'd made a mistake. <laughs> How about a least favorite costume? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember not liking any of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you have any really scary dreams when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, most of them were about demons for the reasons we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <No. Okay. laughs> Understandable. Any recurring dreams? Um, I had a really strange one when I was super young. It's like I would start screaming for like it would be like it would be like i would be in my bedroom like everything would be like as i remember it when waking but i would just like get up and start like screaming like throwing a tantrum <laughs> like for what reason i don't know but like as i kept moving like i would it would get harder and harder to move until like i was hmm. just like frozen and i hmm. had that dream like all the time that's great right. <laughs> yeah it was a little strange i still haven't like psychoanalyzed that one yeah <laughs> I made a note. We might come back to that. <laughs> um, so there are often, not for everybody, but for some of the guests we've talked to, there was like a dividing line where at a certain point they found horror to be entertaining, but before that they were scared. Where was the line for you? Where did that come in childhood? Was it always entertaining to you? I mean, it sounded like at least with the red Rudolph, the red nose snowman, <laughs> uh, or uh, abominable, abominable snowman that there was fear there. Where, where did the, the enjoyment start? I think it was at the same time, because even when I was terrified, I was sim like simultaneously, uh, fascinated. I, and I've always felt that way. Um, because horror, like horror movies, particular, really scare me. But I also mm -hmm. feel compelled to watch them. Okay. Hmm. What do you think you're fascinated by? I'm a very like neurotic person. I had to disable my TikTok account for this reason. I don't know if you've ever been on TikTok, but like it, the algorithm is very, very good. Like what you tend to look at tends to be what it shows you. So I would mm -hmm. get fascinated by these like train wrecks. And it was just—it was just like my entire feed was just like horrible train wreck stories, like that I don't want to repeat. So I'm like, I have to get—I have to get off of here. Um, and I, I think a lot of it is because like neurotic people are sort of in a in a functioning society. They're sort of like the ones designed to look out for danger. So I think part of it is like that compulsion to look for danger and like see how you can sort of like synthesize and understand it. Mm. Uh, let's see. Did anything happen in your childhood that introduced any fears, like lasting fears? I mean, just the usual, like, abandonment and um, <laughs> failure. Mm. Not anything, like, particularly, um, I don't know. I'd say abandonment and failure are pretty advanced for childhood. That's, like, more adult <laughs> things that you, that you fear. Oh, well, I guess it, I guess it sort of becomes crystallized over time. Like, it kind of does, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember like being afraid of like clowns in particular, for instance, or anything. Mm. Okay. 
So we'll jump into teen years then. Uh, you mentioned The Grudge and Joan. Any, any others jump out to you as impactful in your teenage years? Um, I think it's a Korean movie. There was one called Tale of Two Sisters that mm-hmm. I really liked. You've seen that one? Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Um, I've wa- I watched it so many times just trying to like figure out what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really like The Shining. Um, that's one of my favorite movies. Classic. Yeah. I And I also like played a lot of video games so like i remember um resident evil um was really mm-hmm. terrifying to me then there was like quake which like it, it's more like a shooter but it, it had like these horror elements like it had the soundtrack by like uh trent Reznor and everything yeah. and then you know i read like you know you could start reading stephen king when you're six and, and you'll probably never <laughs> read all his books so here's Stephen <laughs> king and like yeah. um and i dean coons um like i know a lot of people don't like him now but like he has very i thought like he had some pretty good um books richard layman which i probably shouldn't have been reading but um i did why not it's a little perverted <laughs> <laughs> if you're familiar with anything by richard layman no i'm not yeah he's sort of like considered more like i think he's considered more like extreme horror as opposed to like regular horror okay more like more gore like more like sexual stuff my brother really liked those books i was they're okay um <laughs> well he's got a lewis royale cover that's um that's a good start <laughs> yeah um he's sort of like a cult like he might be he might be like among like horror writers, like most horror writers, like know who he is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good list. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so the first one that you mentioned, other than the grudge and Juan, was Tale of Two Sisters. What did you like about that one? There was something like very familiar and unknown about it at the same time. I was actually talking about this the other day because like I'm actually not a fan of Lovecraft. I know a lot yeah. of people are. That's sort of like a, a sacrilegious thing. And I think it's because people say we're scared of the unknown. Like, we're not really scared of the unknown. We're scared of proximate unknown. Like, I don't know if you remember when, like, the Pentagon came out and said that aliens were real and everyone was just like, eh. Nah. Like, they didn't really care <laughs> if it's so unknown that it doesn't, like, affect your daily life. I don't think it's scary. I mean, it was bad timing too. It was also in the middle of a pandemic and state of civil <laughs> unrest. True. You know, it's just like, true. hey, the world's on fire. By the way, also, we admit it, aliens are real. Yeah, 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 yeah. whatever. I'm going to die from this <laughs> virus over here, right? There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we assassinated JFK. Like, <laughs> really just let right. all the things out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, what I thought about Tale of Two Sisters was, it was that it was so mysterious and unknown, but like so familiar at the same time, because it is mm-hmm. about like, uh, like a child. And I thought a lot of the confusion was similar to like how, what a child feels like when their parents are going through something uh, tumultuous. Mm. I like what you said about uh, proximate unknown. That's kind of an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I, and and what, I, what I mean by that is... is like an the unknown that's like just within reach and it's like affecting you personally, but you mm-hmm. can't quite. Right. Yeah. Well, like you say, if it's too far away, it it doesn't. It's if you're being pragmatic about it, it, it doesn't really affect you. But it's it's okay. This is close enough that it's, it could affect me. Yeah. Uh, what about the shining? What about it? <laughs> <laughs> what What did you like about it? Oh, what did I like about it? I think it does have some of those same elements like this whole like 
this very like isolated um, place and there's like domestic violence going on um, and there's like something that's sort of like unraveling out of your control. Mm-hmm. Mm. What about Resident Evil? What'd you like about that? It was a very like revolutionary video game. It was one of the, and it was one of the like first like actual horror, like 3D horror games. It's funny because the controls <clears throat> are one of the things that made it scary because um, of the fixed camera angle. It was actually really hard to move around. Um, mm. So you would encounter like a zombie or a dog, like a, a zombie dog or something. And it was almost like it was almost like the difficult co- controls like simulated like your own panic. Yeah, you know, I've always thought that. I've heard so many people complain about the camera angles and controls in Resident Evil, but I think they did that on purpose. Yeah, well, part of the reason was because the way they shaded the objects. Like, the objects were really good for their time, and so they couldn't, you couldn't, they couldn't do the cameras so they could pan around it. Because it would change the lighting. Yeah, and they they didn't have the technology um, or, like, the processing power to do that. But I actually Mm -hmm. think it worked really well for, like, the medium. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember reading an abstract of some scientific study that was done. I don't know. I read this a couple of years ago and I just laughed because the study basically said that video games don't make people violent. What makes people violent are games that either have poor controls or <laughs> badly, badly explained um, goals. So basically it's either you don't know what they want you to do or you can't do it because the controls suck. Yep. And I remember reading this this abstract and I just laughed my ass off because I'm like, if you talk to anybody who's ever played video games, they'll tell you that. Like, mm-hmm. no, you needed a study to know that. Like, I don't think uh, anyone has ever thrown a controller through a screen because of Grand Theft Auto. Right. <laughs> well, maybe, but. Yeah, yeah as far I as mean, we know. I, I always thought it was funny that, like, people said violent uh, video games made us violent because I'm like, well, I mean, we've been plenty violent before video games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's this and, thing and called who, the Crusades. And, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's like we are violent and then we manifest it in the game. Like, we mm-hmm. don't need a game to make us violent. No. no. <laughs> it, well, basically, what it's boiling down to is that they're misinterpreting violence for just frustration. Yeah, that's You know, true. it's people's frustration that leads them. There are, you know, different people have different, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Vices, vices. No, that's not what's going. With. Uh, different people have different um, networks of beliefs, shall we say? And for some people, they'll say that violence is justified if X, Y, Z conditions are met. And for some people, fr- a certain level of frustration permits them to be violent. Not naming any names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> And this is a, uh, that's where that comes out. I mean, it's, it's people misunderstanding or misinterpreting or not digging that one layer deeper. All they see is the, the violence. They don't dig a layer deeper to see it's the frustration that causes the violence. Anyway, off topic. That is true. I, I was actually a video game tester for a while and then I did design. So I have oh. seen, <laughs> I've seen a lot of frustration. <laughs> yeah. I'll I bet. bet. Yeah. <laughs> Did you participate in uh, Halloween as a teenager? As a teenager? No, I don't think I did. I think I was over it by then. (laughs) Not even the uh, typical shift from trick-or-treating to parties? No, I I was a nerd. Yeah, yeah, I was inside playing 
video games and reading Stephen King. So probably better use of your time celebrating it in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I remember like I was at a Barnes and Noble one time in high school because like um I don't remember why, but sometimes my dad would like drop me off there for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And someone on the bus was like I saw you at Barnes and Nobles and then all her friends started making fun of her like because she was at a bookstore and she was like I was getting a coffee like but it was like it was like god forbid like you were right yeah were you going there to (laughs) learn stuff you nerd (laughs) well I like that they're making fun of her for being there but not you yeah, that's true. I was, yeah. they, pro- they probably were like, oh, she's wearing a black hoodie. She's like two steps from Columbine. Like, let's not. <laughs> like, <laughs> They're like, let's not fuck with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, did anything actually terrify you as a teen in real life? I'm trying to think. Let me skip that for now because I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Okay. Any reoccurring dreams as a teen? Hmm. also like oh i had i had like okay my demon like uh um obsession continued i had like a lot of disturbing dreams where like i think there's actually like a psychological disorder that's kind of like this but like in real life where you think everyone's sort of like been replaced by an imposter Hmm. but like in the dream i would be talking to like my dad or like my brother and then all of a sudden like their voice would like completely change and they would become like all the whole time they were like this other entity. And that always scared hmm. me. Not for a bad reason. That's <laughs> kind of yeah. freaky. And it would always be, it, some of it was like just weird. Like I would be like talking to my dad on the phone and all of a sudden he would, it would be like a woman's voice, which you wouldn't hmm. think would be like, it wasn't like a scary voice, but it was just like the switch. It was like terrifying. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That is an interesting twist on that yeah yeah uh let's see had you by teenagers found anyone else who was a fan of horror was it still mainly your dad yeah and but i did i did start <laughs> this sounds nerdy but like i started um like writing on deviantart yeah. okay and i found a lot of not necessarily horror fans in particular but like people that were also teenagers that were writing so that was like nice to like actually connect with other people that weren't like I saw you in a Barnes and Noble like <laughs> you better not you better not be a reader like you know <laughs> okay cool so there was getting some of the social element added there yeah uh, I feel like I'm missing something here I'm not sure what <clears throat> I, I'm going back to the uh, the childhood dream about you know, throwing this tantrum and it being harder and to move until you feel frozen. The first thing that comes to mind is like, it's a power struggle uh, or feeling lack of empowerment. Um, I don't know if that's a theme. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Um, I think a lot of kids go through that, um, especially if they don't feel like heard or seen. And I think just right. generally, like, I think just in general, being a child is a lot to do with like a lack of power. Cause I mean, like someone can just pick you up and like throw you over right. your shoulder so that, that, and you don't know how to um, articulate that at all. So it, like, it probably comes out like in your dreams. Right. Mm, no, I can't think of anything else that we didn't ask in the 
childhood or teenage years, I guess we'll jump into adulthood. What, what are some of the more impactful uh, horror media that jumps out to you in your adult years? So when I became like, I would say an adult or like late teens, I started like sort of branching out into more literary stuff. And I actually, Mm -hmm. I actually found the same feeling I got when I read um, like horror books, like in the horror genre is sort of like, I found in books like Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar, um, which is about like a woman going through an intense depression or like uh, Dostoevsky's like Crime and Punishment, which is about a man who basically thinks he can pull off the perfect murder, but then he sort of becomes like crushed and overwhelmed by his own guilt. Um, I, and I started getting into Clive Barker a lot too. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, um, the Books of Blood was like pretty um, influential. Poppy Zebright, um, who wrote a book called Exquisite Corpse. Um, I started really liking books that had like a style to it. I found that was like a new dimension. What what style was it? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Oh, it's just like books that like were stylistic. Like they had. Oh. Um, I guess some people call it not purple prose, but like a lot of horror genre books like have a very like simplistic style. Um, but I started getting really into like the language and how the language like influences. Um, the thoughts and everything. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Beljar, what did you say that one was about again? So Beljar, it was written by Sylvia Plath, who very famously is a poet that committed suicide. And it's about her. I mean, it's fictional, but like, it's, it's obviously like a stand in for her own life. It's about depression. And I started developing depression in my like early adulthood. And it was like, it's interesting because, like, she go- she really goes through, like, <laughs> in, like, the crushing, like, mundanity of existence and how she feels um, very trapped by it. Like, there's a sequence <laughs> where she's, like, talking about how tired she is at the realization she's going to have to wash her hair every day for the rest of her life. Um, <laughs> like, just, relate. like, the... Well, I mean, not the hair thing, but, like... I was gonna say, wait, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's like almost like an adult horror in a way. Nihilism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I have this theory that like because I started reading a lot of the existentialists at the time. I read like a uh, start. I read um, Camus. They're like cr- I think they were chronically depressed and sort of like viewing mm-hmm. the world because like, so one the, of the they weren't necessarily the, philosophers. They were just waxing poetic about the fact that they were depressed. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure someone's gonna get mad at me about that because, like, uh, but <laughs> I mean, like, they do they do have some interesting ideas, but I think they're all put through like the perceptual filter of someone who's just struggling with existence at like the basic level. Like the idea of like absurdism, like, is a big thing in like existentialism, where it's just like life is inherently absurd, um, and I think that's really a matter of perspective. I'm feeling like the uh, por qué las qué, ah shit uh, no las dos uh, meme fits here that you're saying they're not philosophers they're just chronically depressed and I'm thinking well why not both <laughs> no yeah. that is true that's true they're they're being philosophical about their depression <laughs> you yeah. could make that argument um, <laughs> I think I just did <laughs> yeah one could hypothetically yeah. Um, <laughs> So absurdism, uh, depression, I mean, you're relating to it because you felt that you were 
kind of starting to feel some of the same things. What did, uh, what were you feeling depressed about? Or is it just a general malaise? Um, I think it was just like a general, I wasn't raised with good coping skills. So I was sort of feeling um, like going off to college and feeling the weight of that and not really knowing how to function properly. Um, I mean, now we have YouTube videos where you can see these 14 year olds who like have a whole schedule down and you'll, you you can learn all your life skills that way, but that wasn't <laughs> the case at the time. Right. So just a general struggle that you couldn't necessarily put your finger on at the time. Yeah. Understandable. Uh, kind of feel the same way myself. So crime and punishment, you said that one brought up uh, murder and guilt. Uh, what did you like about Books of Blood? Um, I thought it was like very elegant, almost like like this elegant and alluring like kind of horror. Like it felt, I guess it was like it was almost like a little sexy, even though like there's no real like sex in a lot of the in some of them. But like, um, it it felt it felt like adult in a way that like Stephen King maybe wasn't maybe having to do with having to do with his nationality compared to ours. <laughs> what about uh, Poppy Z Bright? You mentioned something with corpse in the title. Uh, it, um, exquisite corpse. What'd you like about that? Which one? was also, I'm blanking on the plot exactly, but I think it was, it, it was about like a serial killer. Um, hmm. And it was like, I had never read anything that was like written in the style. Like it was a very like Gothic, but modern like kind of style. Um, and it influenced like a lot of the ways that I wrote for a long time. Okay. I guess in here somewhere you started thinking about, you know, the stylistic thing from almost sort of like a meta point of view and you're talking, obviously you're an author. So at some point you got into looking at it from that approach. However, you know, I try to separate, separate guests interested in things from the cerebral part of it, you know, from the, the auteur part of it as separate from what they love about it emotionally, you know, at a gut instinct level. But let's talk about for a minute, how you got to being an author. Like where, where did that start? Was that in childhood or teenage years or where did that come in? Yeah, I basically, I don't have an interesting story. I just remember like, at the time that I could read, I like wanted to write. Um, and I just never stopped. Was it always horror or horror related or is it just writing in general? It was writing in general. It wasn't, um, it was always like fantasy or, or horror. And it's funny, like you can have, I have a lot of people argue now that I'm not a horror writer, but like I, I, in a, a lot of ways I feel that I am. But horror has definitely like been one of the things that's like appealed to me, like as a writer. Do you feel like there was a particular time when you made a switch into choosing that direction, or maybe not choosing it overall, but starting to move in that direction? I think when I was like in my late teens, I can't really. I, I think before that, I wrote. I mostly wrote like fantasy inspired stuff. Um, and then eventually I was sort of just like not that engaged with it anymore. I really preferred mm. to read stuff that was based like in our reality, but had like one, like had one or two like fantastical elements because mm. it, it was just like more relatable to me. Mm, 
but having a fantasy element is not the same as necessarily horror. So that's true. But I guess what I mean is like horror is like us, like a supernatural like element. Like just one thing is like a little off from like what reality is supposed to be. Well, supernatural hasn't come up yet in our in this call. How where does that come in? Um, I I was just trying to think of a way to describe it because like I know just. Like when people say, so like, not supernatural in the sense of spiritual, but being out above or beyond the natural. Yeah, like a monster, like a or something like. Because I think a lot of times when people have horror, but it's like just based in reality, they they normally call it like a thriller. Mm. Like if nothing supernatural is happening, right? Actually, after I had said, you know, supernatural hasn't come up in the call, and then I thought, well, demons did. So there's <laughs> that. That's true. I don't know. I mean. Nothing has really come up as a theme. Well, I guess there's a couple other adult questions we could ask. Have you gotten back into uh, Halloween as an adult? Yeah, I guess like I've I've been trying to like enjoy life a little bit more. So, um, (laughs) I mean, last year I dressed up as like a a fed. I just had (laughs) I just had a T-shirt that said "Definitely not a cop," and then I wore like a (laughs) not really a horror costume, but I guess it depends Mm. on who you ask. Uh, least favorite costume, favorite costume as an adult? Um, or is that the only one that you've had? <laughs> no, I dressed up as a vampire, but I wasn't like too happy with that one. Uh, anything happened in your adult life that actually terrified you in real life? Oh, yeah. Well, having like getting pregnant is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It could be yes. It's a lot of emotions. <laughs> no, I involved. mean, I mean, it was it was definitely planned, but there's like a a lot of um, be, like the neuroticism from my childhood hasn't really ended, so it's like you. Know, I always worry about like what could go wrong. Yeah, right. Particularly in today's world. Yeah. Uh, any recurring dreams as an adult? I'm thinking. I'll pass on that one. Okay. okay. Um, so by now I'm guessing you have more of a, a connection with other people in, in the world that have uh, interest in horror. It's not just your family and also probably beyond deviant art at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know a lot of writers um, I have, I'm occasionally let out of my closet to go socialize. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sometimes my husband even lets me wear shoes. I'm like, that's nice. Oh, 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 look at you wearing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're only pregnant, not barefoot pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. We haven't really talked about nerd, neuro, neuroticism too much. Um, but I think you brought that up all the way in childhood years. Like, so what's go ahead. You're going to say something. Oh, sorry. So you can continue. I was just going to ask, you know, what's your experience been with that? Oh, okay. So like, and then when I, when I say neuroticism, I'm specifically talking about like a heritable trait. Um, there's a, there's a personality model called the ocean model, which is like, it's not like Myers Briggs or anything. It's like one of the actual scientific, like taxonomic, ideas of personality and like one of the traits is uh, neuroticism and neuroticism is <laughs> it's considered like a bad trait but i think it's actually like just not utilized properly in a lot of people hmm. 
and, and it's essentially like your ability to see danger. Mm. It's just it never tends to shut off. Mm. I was thinking about like, you know, how children are sort of like afraid of um, like the dark and they're afraid of monsters and you sort of have to go through this period of being like, okay, like monsters aren't real. Um, and in a way, in a way the children are more correct than the parents because genetically like um like looking back in our history like monsters have been very real like the darkness has been a terrifying place like beyond the light of like the campfire or, like beyond the light of the village so it's almost like learning to not be afraid <laughs> of like the dark it's almost like a regression in a way i can see arguments to be made in both <laughs> directions because you know, you like you say, kids are more correct in, than adults. Maybe about that, you're right. But then kids will do other stupid things like running out into traffic. So, oh yeah, you know, there's not to say that you're wrong. Just saying that there's there's cases to me be, to be made in both directions. That we, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Kids are just trying. To, or they're just learning how to be human, and they're not. They're a lot of times they're acting on instinct and. Um, not always doing the smartest thing and not, not really afraid of rational things. But I think like mm. the fear of the dark is a very old, like fear encoded, like in our genetic memory. And like you say, there's a reason for it to kind of tie in something else you said about, you know, the neuroticism potentially never shutting off and how that could be maladaptive is the word that typically used yeah. for that is it's yeah. it's good it's good in certain situations but when you try to apply it in the wrong situation then it can cause a problem the thing that's necessary then is to learn some other coping skill that will be adaptive in that situation properly and you know we talked earlier in the call about how the US but also the world in general does a bad job of teaching people about these kinds of things and one of the things that we do we can learn is that life goes through phases. That's like story arcs, which, you know, if you're being an author, you'll be familiar with that, but you know, like there's early childhood, mid childhood development, and then, you know, teenage development and then adult development, and there's multiple phases of adult development. And so, yeah, being afraid of the dark may be relevant when you're a child and you don't know what's important to be afraid of or not be afraid of, or, what can hurt you because your strengths are not the same as you would be when you're an adult. You have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, there for a lot of people, maybe not you, if you're feeling that this is part of your neuroticism, <laughs> but you know, there for a lot of people, there is a time to let go of certain fears and also, unfortunately a time to pick up new ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That comes naturally. Definitely. Yeah. But this is all perfectly natural, but we don't talk about it in these terms. We just, it just happens, you know, but you don't think about it. Yeah, no, and that, that is a good point that your fears adapt and change because like as a child, like you're very helpless. Um, and then as an adult, you're like, okay, like there still might be scary things in the dark, but like I have tools, I have resources, like I have information like that I didn't necessarily yeah. have as a child. And coping mechanisms, you know, and I'm yeah. an adult now. I can go, if I'm scared of the dark, go turn on the light. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. <laughs> the kid's just going to lay there in bed and scream. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that you say, you talk about like acquiring new fears because like um, when I was in my late twenties, I actually developed like a core, uh, not agoraphobia, um, whatever the fear of heights is. I forget the name mm -hmm. of it, but like I had never been afraid of heights. of heights. My anxiety? No. 
Um, let's say uh, it's um, acrophobia. Acrophobia. Hmm. Yeah. Acrophobia, yeah. That had never been a thing I'd considered. Like I was like I could climb anything; it wouldn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, um, I become I became very aware of like just how much damage like a fall could do. Well, you know, it's funny is because that changes over time because, and this comes back to, you know, science and physics that, you know, the, the bigger you are, the, the bigger your, uh, oh, crap, what's the word terminal velocity and the, your weight impacts, it affects how much, you know, force is going to be hitting on impact. Whereas when you're a kid, you can survive some of these falls better than a, an adult would is- from the same height. I hadn't thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. There, there's a park I like to go to to walk my dogs um, nearby. Um, they sort of made a new path that's really bad because it's like a little narrow strip, but there's like a huge sheer cliff. There's no fence. There's nothing. Um, mm. I passed it several times and I would always sort of like imagine like one of my dogs falling off. But then one time one of my dogs ran into this little tiny dog on the and they got and into knocked it off. They got into a fight. Yeah, he he knocked the dog off the cliff, <laughs> <laughs> and I like tried to grab it, like and it just you know. And then like there's a woman screaming. It's like a woman and and her um, husband and like the baby. And this woman like dives down like the cliff, like just like grabs onto a tree and like I don't know how she made it down there. But thankfully the dog was fine because it was like a very very tiny dog. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was like an interesting moment of like, sometimes the thing you're afraid of, like does actually manifest in real life in front of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, going back to what I said earlier about the, um, you know, the fear manifesting itself, you mentioned that it, it didn't bother you when you were a kid, you may not have been conscious of it, but there may have been some part of you on a subconscious level that understood it wasn't going to hurt you as badly when you were younger. And now, now that same fall from a certain height is going to hurt you. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like um, I hadn't thought of that. And it's, and I think also like, it's sort of like they say your prefrontal cortex doesn't develop fully Mm -hmm. until your late twenties. And a lot of that is sort of like um, awareness of like cause and effect um, <laughs> which you can see, like, especially like in young men, like they don't really have a lot of, they either like, they don't have a lot of concept or a lot of fear of like doing things, which is why their death rate is much higher, um, in their early twenties. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think a lot of that is like, oh yeah, like physics, that's a real thing. And like, if I fall, like this is going to happen and there's consequences <laughs> to like, yes, yeah, that you can't really come back from. Yeah. Uh, so some of the follow-up questions or the ending questions that we like to ask here, these cover not just your childhood or adult years or any section of this is your entire life. And it's not just horror, but any genre. So the, the first two questions I'm going to ask, I'm going to give them to you at the same time. It could be the same answer for both, or it could be different answers. But, uh, what are your, what would you say is your favorite movie and what movie would you watch? Would you say you've watched more times than any other? Uh, it would be the same, and that would have to be Blade Runner. Oh, nice. Really? Why Blade Runner? Because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because it's the only movie worth watching. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I think I watched it at, like, a very pivotal moment of my life, and um, it's, like, a beautiful, 
it's like a very human sci-fi story and that's like incredibly rare and it just like i mean it it essentially made the entire cyberpunk genre and as far as i know nobody has revolutionized sci-fi as well since then when you say you watched it at a pivotal when you say that you watched it at a pivotal moment what do you mind sharing what that was yeah so like i had actually dropped out of college for various reasons um and then i had moved to oklahoma from texas and i remember like my aunt like back when netflix was like they would actually mail you like the dvds i remember Mm -hmm. her like hey like i think you would really like blade runner um and i think just at that moment i was sort of like absorbing a lot of information because like so much was new um so i just remember like it it felt like a marker like into adulthood almost Hmm. uh you mentioned this human sci-fi element i guess that is important to you on some level um yeah i think a lot of sci-fi is very focused on and i think this is the same error that a lot of like horror has is that it's very focused on like the technology and like what's happening um on the material level but then in blade runner everything is focused on the human element um and i think that what that that's really like i think that's really the difference between like what makes like something like okay and what makes it like great yeah it's like it's it's not a science fiction story to be a science fiction story it's a a human story that's an interesting story that just happens to be in the future yeah and i think um because it's based on like the philip k novel called um do androids stream of electric and now I can't talk. Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, and he's actually like probably my favorite uh, novelist. Um, but I would say Blade Runner is actually like a superior piece of media because of the way he like crafted the story. Because like in the beginning, when you have um, Deckard talking to like one of the robots and he's like trying to decide if he's a robot by asking him these like questions, if it was like a lesser writer and a lesser director, like that scene would be focused on like, oh, this like interesting device that like looks into your eyes and sees like whether or not you're a machine. But like in- instead, it's just focused on like there's this really weird fucking guy, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and they're having yeah. this very like tense co- like conversation. Yeah, it's similar to, like what you were saying about The Shining earlier. It's just just the overall delivery and style of the the film is like the tight close ups on people's eyes, the pauses, the way they speak. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. That's the point I was making. <laughs> so since you're also uh, so interested in the literary side of things, let me ask the same question uh, on the literary side. What would you say is your favorite book and what book would have you read more times than any other? Mm. Also based on our, our- since Blade Runner is based on a Philip K. Dick novel, my <laughs> Philip K. Dick is probably like um, his book, A Scanner Darkly, is probably like my favorite book. Mm. And it's funny because like it's not even really like sci-fi. It's more about a bunch of weird friends that got together <laughs> and like are slowly like driving each other crazy with their like drug fueled like psychosis. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like if it's all in their minds and hallucinations, because it is all about drugs, then the skin suits and the tech could be made up. And really, I guess the only thing that's not nonfiction about scanner darkly is the drug. 
I, yeah, I, I think that, that that makes sense. And like um, knowing about like PKD's life, he sort of when he mm-hmm. wrote that he was he was hanging out with a lot of like characters that were like similar to his book. So like there's a scene where they're arguing about like how many gears a bike has, <laughs> and it's just like it's just this complete I like love that scene. <laughs> uh, this complete like dr- like if you've known people that are like drug addicts, like it's so believable and like yeah. realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror it is that you like? Metaphysical, uh, occult? I mean, I really, I didn't see a thread until I started talking on this podcast, but I think I really like things that are like sort of like about dysfunctional families and like them dealing with like this like mysterious intrusion or other or that's also sort of like a analogy to like what they're going through like in reality sorry uh had something in my throat so you said dysfunctional families dealing with an intrusion as symbolic for for what again what was the the symbolism um like the monster or whatever that happens is, is like sort of representative of like domestic struggle or like psychological issues Mm -hmm. any idea why it is that you like those things yeah probably because i'm familiar with psychological (laughs) struggle (laughs) i I figured that one might be the answer but (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's it's just because it's so outside of my own experience i mean like i had a perfect life growing up (laughs) you know by riding a bicycle through a field of flowers um yes (laughs) uh so then you know the one of the last questions is why horror because couldn't you address that same kind of um interest in other genres the ones that i guess would come to mind for this specific thing would be maybe i don't want to say rom-com but like a drama like i'm the one that first popped to mind was fisher king um with robin williams it's a good one i don't know if i've seen that Yeah, yeah um I don't know. Like, I think, I think it's hard sometimes to determine like why people have the interest they do or why they're fascinated by things that they are. Um, I know I, I've listened to like some of your other podcasts and I know a lot of people are like, well, why do you like horror? If like, it's so horrible. And I'm like, cause we're horrible. Like we're horrible, <laughs> like violent people, but we're also like, cause I mean, we're dualistic in that sense. And I think a lot of people want to ignore that. Like it's, it's like the it's like the shadow like self basically and there's a quote by Carl Jung not exactly but he he basically says like that which stays in the subconscious like becomes fate so it's like the things that we aren't aware of in our own nature like end up sort of like determining and owning us and i think i think horror is like a good even though it's like supernatural like a lot of the times it's a good lens into our own worst fears like about ourselves and like what we're capable of it's funny that you brought up Jung in the shadow our very last guest whose interview has not been published published yet brought up the same thing on the hair call <laughs> <That's funny>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and i know young is sort of seen as like passe i guess in, in, in like some psychological circles but i really think I, I don't think anything describes that like as well as like the shadow self hmm. So going back to the question of why horror as opposed to other genres, though, 
do you feel that there's some way that horror represents these more accurately or better than other genres or I think it does in a way like just because it, like horror is defined by terror um and and terror is always that thing that we don't want to look at or face I'm glad that you added that because my first thought was that you know the dysfunctional families may not always be terrible in in the sense of terror although obviously sometimes they also can um, yeah. but the thing that they don't want to face I, I like that wording of it too yeah because like in the right lens that could be a comedy right like there's a lot of comedies about <laughs> like dysfunctional families mm. but yeah it's like i think it's really just like um i have a compulsion to look into the abyss i suppose mm. yeah going back to the thing about comedy there are also families that as you say choose to deal with things with humor but sometimes that is also an aversion to actually dealing with the topic at hand you know if you're always laughing about something but you never actually address it then you're still avoiding it that's true i don't know if you've ever had one of those friends who just like cannot be serious Mm. like like just like every moment like if it becomes a little too like tense they have to like crack a joke and i think a lot of that comes from like fear of um intimacy or like emotional depth i don't know anybody like that do you chris no (laughs) i met a couple like (laughs) no i i I was joking okay chris is I wouldn't. I wouldn't put Chris in that category, but I was teasing him as if I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at times. No, I mean, not to the point that she's talking about it. No. I mean, I. Th- I think it's common for a lot of people to deflect with humor, um, but I'm. I'm not saying that you do it to the degree she's talking about. Right. All right. Well, you know, if I were to summar- summarize the call, then I. I think you kind of hit on it there at the end that. I I like that summary that you gave of the dysfunctional families dealing with an intrusion um, as, you know, a metaphor for, for the, the trauma that's already inside the family. That's an interesting, interesting way of putting it. Well, thank you for your time. Um, Do you want to pitch anything before I hit the closing? I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) We can put together a bio package for you and you link to whatever you want. So if you, have like a social media page or something like that and if people want to go see what you're doing they can go there all right awesome well thanks for inviting me yeah thanks for being on the show our pleasure yeah and thank you to anybody out there listening please do come visit us again at uh, horrormixeshappy.com um we've got merch patreon links you can buy us a coffee and do all kinds of stuff to uh, check us out and support us and talk to us or just tell a friend thanks yeah.